Genesis 2, 7 through 9, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Psalms 1. And one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. You're going to hear this ver- these verses a lot this year in Psalms 1. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Psalms 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Psalms 104, 16, the trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. I could go on and on and on and on. God is all about being in the planning business. Not just planning, P-L-A-N-N-I-N-G. Planting, P-A-L-P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G. The Bible actually begins the story of humanity in a garden. The New Testament begins in a garden. The New Testament concludes in a garden. Tree planted by the river of life that bears forth its fruit in its season, and all seasons, all 12 months out of the year, Revelation chapter 22. So what we literally see from the beginning of the Bible through to the beginning of the New Testament, through to the conclusion of the Bible itself, is a focus that God did not put there coincidentally or accidentally, but deliberately on purpose for a a specific, a specified reason. God is focusing on planting. I want to speak today from the next, for the next few minutes from this subject, planted, fruitful, and flourishing. Planted, say it, planted, fruitful, and flourishing. That's the progression. Father, would you please speak a word to us right now and open heaven and open our hearts to understand what heaven has to say and speak to us and inform us of your truth and your kingdom principles for they alone can transform our lives, not the ideas or the opinions that humanity may conceive and develop, but those that were already formulated in heaven. Or what we need to hear in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I said it a couple of weeks ago. There is a difference in being blessed and being extraordinarily blessed. There really is a biblical difference. Many people have never considered that. But the story of Esau and Jacob very clearly demonstrates there's a difference in being blessed and extraordinarily blessed. When Jacob bought his brother's birthright for a bowl of pottage and then went to his blind father, Isaac, and deceived him into getting his dad to give him 
the patriarchal blessing that would have otherwise belonged to Esau. Everyone in the family, upon learning what Jacob had done, immediately knew that a spiritual transaction had occurred that could not be undone. Esau, the scripture says, repented bitterly with tears, went to his dad and said, Father, don't you have one blessing left for, for me? And his dad did blessing. But in blessing him, he first made very clear to Esau, there will be a difference in the blessing that I'm about to speak over your life and what I just gave your brother a while ago. I've blessed him by opening heaven over his life. He's going to be extraordinarily blessed. You're just going to be blessed. These passages demonstrate to me that there is a difference in these two dimensions that I want to talk about. Jacob would be extraordinarily blessed. That's what I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to Christian Tabernacle this year and to the members of this assembly, to your families. It's going to have to do with your finances, your ministries, your relationship with God. As another way of saying the same thing, just a couple of Sundays ago, the first Sunday of the year, I mentioned there's a difference between breakthrough and breakout. I used to think that they were the same thing until I was in seeking the Lord one day and praying for a breakthrough. And God began to deal with me about having breakout the way at the beginning of last year. The Holy Spirit said, the word that is coming over this church will be not breakthrough, but breakout. And I said, well, really, what's the difference? Because a breakthrough is wonderful. Everybody loves a breakthrough. And hopefully you will experience, watch this now, many breakthroughs in the course of your life. But what I just said actually gives you a clue to the difference between breakthrough and breakout. You need many breakthroughs. But when breakout occurs, you don't need breakthrough anymore. A breakthrough brings you beyond the current challenges and places you further down the road toward the achievement of your purposes and your destiny, whether that's in ministry, business, relationship with God, your own family. But you know what's going to happen because we live in a fallen world? You're going to encounter some other challenges, and you're going to need another breakthrough. But breakout means you get catapulted to a different dimension altogether. Breakthroughs usually come in series. That is, you break through from one place to another, but before long, as I said, New challenges require a new breakthrough, but breakout is different in that it changes everything. What I'm hoping to be able to do as we dive into this year and the word that God wants to speak for us is to create vision in you for what your life could be like. For what I believe God wants you to experience. One of my favorite quotes on vision is by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He was a French author. I love reading his books. Very poetic. He was a pilot. And usually flying is, is interwoven in, in everything he writes. But he had this to say. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Whoa. Most people approach vision the way he said we shouldn't. You know, we're going to go build a ship. You go get some wood. You go do this. You go. And he said, no, no, no. The way that you create vision is you teach men to yearn for the vast 
an endless sea and you get that planted in their heart, they'll be lining up to go get wood. And I thought about the difference in breakthrough and breakout. A lot of airplanes fly across the skies each day. I recently was doing research on a message and I discovered that there are over 103,000 commercial flights that occur daily around the world. That doesn't even count the private planes that take off. Not many of them get very high above the ground. Commercial flights get much higher than the average private aircraft. Most of the commercial aircraft never get over 38,000 feet. I think that's about the highest I've ever been on a plane, maybe close to 40. Six to seven miles high, which trust me is a lot higher than I would want to be without an airplane. Amen. But it's altogether different when a missile is launched. An airplane will go six to seven miles above the ground, but when NASA fires a rocket into space, there are a number of, as it were, breakthroughs that occur to get it into outer space and that dimension of weightlessness. After countdown and upon ignition, all of us have heard the famous NASA countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, finally blast off. And then you see that rocket and clouds of smoke envelop the rocket, flame billowing, and then emerging from the top of all of those clouds, you see that rocket slowly, painfully inching its way toward the sky as it overcomes inertia combined with the weight of the rocket and the weight of the payload that it is carrying as it begins to move upward. After it achieves liftoff and gains momentum, it can still crash back to the earth if it does not receive additional thrust. That's like another breakthrough. And you've all watched the booster rockets fall away, First, the first booster rocket. And you watch as that video camera zooms in and then you see that blurred second stage begin to fall away. As that rocket each time is given fresh thrust and moves higher and higher and finally after overcoming inertia and achieving liftoff and firing these booster rockets, each one of these a separate, separate stage as it were of acceleration. It achieves the required 17,000 pounds of forward momentum necessary, forward thrust, to be able to break free from the gravitational pull of the earth's surface. Because this atmosphere that we live in literally is like a, a bubble around the earth, and it is constantly pulling everything that tries to get up back down. Most of us were raised in an atmosphere of one sort or another in our home or in church. All of us, in one way or another, know about atmospheres and our experience. Atmosphere in school, told how far you could go. Atmospheres, while giving life, actually limit you. And they tell you, yes, you can live, but you have to stay within this dimension. A rocket breaks out of the gravitational pull of an atmosphere but very few people will ever experience what those astronauts and others have experienced in reaching that dimension of outer space. Because when you are within this atmosphere, you are limited and restricted by what this atmosphere defines as your realm of possibility and potential. You reach that dimension. 
You've got to wear lead shoes, boots, because if you jump, you don't know if you're ever coming, coming down again. You become like Superman, able to leap over tall buildings at a single bound. And they have to put lead on your feet so you will come back down. You can lift huge objects with a tip of your finger that this whole congregation couldn't budge struggling together to move. When you are in that atmosphere, or out of this atmosphere and into that dimension. I believe there is a place in God like that. For what is impossible at this level becomes ordinary at the next level. Mm. Amen. Amen. Where limitations break away. And the whole purpose of breakthroughs is to get you to the place that you have breakout. And that's what I want to do is create in you a thirst for the vast and endless sea. I want to tell you there's something else out there. The Bible describes this in other ways as well. Blessed is the man who uh, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornfuls, delights in the law of the Lord. It begins like that. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You have to understand what that is really saying because you can read over that being raised and, and living in Houston, Texas where we get 70 plus inches of rain a year and you might not even understand what that means. That's an area where they don't get a lot of rain, where it's desert. Have any of you ever lived or visited desert areas and stayed there long enough to, for them to get one of the rare rainfalls they experience from time to time? I have. And in the middle of that dry, barren desert that is colored with nothing but hues of tans and browns and grays, overnight when it rains, the plant life, the flora there is different than it is here in this part of the state. You can go out to past El Paso and you'll see what I'm talking about. Out there, it's opportunistic. When the rain comes, it, it's not like here around Texas where it's got three weeks to think about coming up out of the ground. Literally overnight, things blossom because they know the soil is so dry that it's going to drain away that life-giving moisture that failed last night. And by tomorrow, it's all going to be gone. So things erupt into bloom. There's nothing more beautiful than the desert after it's rained. It's vivid, painted with colors. Amen. And God is literally causing us in Psalms 1 to understand that in his mind there's a distinction in being blessed and living the extraordinarily blessed life. Because in Israel they had rains, and it's one thing to get rained on. Ooh, man, I, I, I'm going through a season where I'm getting rained on. Well, God bless you. I, I, I'm thrilled. But you know what's better than getting rained on? To be planted by the river of water. Where you don't need rain to come and fall on you every now and then. Because your roots are reaching into the life of a constant unending flow. You're not having breakthrough. You're living the extraordinarily blessed life. You're not having a blessing every now and then. 
You're living blessing seven days a week. Amen. 12 months out of the year, 10 years in every decade. Amen. The Bible tells us, are you ready for this? That you and I have already experienced blast off. We've experienced liftoff. You say, the Bible says that? Yeah, Ephesians 2, 6, God raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Theologically, we're already there. But as you know, there is a gap between theology and experiential reality. Amen. For example, the scripture says, by his stripes ye were healed. But maybe you haven't manifest that just yet. Am I talking to anybody? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Christ Jesus has supplied all of my needs through his riches and glory. But right now I'm praying for a way to pay my rent this month. You understand what I'm, I'm talking about? The experiential reality and the promise of Scripture and the theological position of Scripture might be different. And what we as believers are supposed to be doing is closing the gap between the promises of God in our actual life. And the world needs to look at us and see us what? As living epistles known and read of all men. When they look at us, they ought to see in us what the Bible has decreed about us. Oh, I'm preaching better and you're responding right now. Hallelujah. I'm already there theologically, and what my job is to do is to reach up by faith and embrace what can't be seen until I pull myself through believing God into that position he declares I'm already at. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the blind say I can see. Let the poor say, I am rich. Amen. Because of what the Lord has done for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Mm, Hallelujah. For there are several things that must occur for you to experience breakout. One of the things that you know after you connect with God is a sign that his favor is at work in your life is when you see God start trying to plant you in something. Because that's what God does. Planted a garden. Planted, planted, planted. Planted Israel in the promised land. You see, Abraham had breakthroughs. I don't know how to say it any other way. And that Abraham had a breakthrough in Genesis 12 and 13. And again in Genesis 15. And he had a breakthrough when his son Isaac was born. And his descendants had breakthroughs when there was a famine. They went down to Egypt and they had a breakthrough because Pharaoh made a place for them. But there came a time when they stopped having breakthroughs and had breakouts. Mm-hmm. You say, what do you mean by that? Listen to Numbers 24, 5 through 6. When they left Egypt on their way to their promised land, all up until that time, they'd been having breakthroughs. When they got to their promised land, they got planted. What happened? Numbers 24, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob. 
You see that? Tents. They were dwelling in tents. What's a tent for? A tent was used by nomads in that day and still is uh, the Bedouins in many parts, places around that part of the world even today. They have to move from one place to another, wherever there's water, wherever there's grass, so forth. And Israel was living in tents. They were like, verse 6, valleys that stretch out like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Did you see the transition from verse number 5 to verse number 6? They went from living in tents to being planted. That's what happened when they came out of Egypt. They were living in tents until they got to the promised land and God planted them in their promised land. That's why I read you some of those verses about Israel being planted. Here's the reason why. If you're constantly having to start over and you're not planted just every few days you're starting over, it's very hard for you to get ahead at anything. You're having to start over in your education, start over in a new relationship, start over in a new ministry, start over in a new church, start over in a new career. You can't get ahead like that. You see, the reason is, is the enemy is constantly trying to make sure that you get unplanted. I'm preaching better than, again, than some of you are responding right now. He's constantly trying to uproot you, uproot you from your relationships, uproot you from your job. Oh yeah, he's trying to get you fired. Did you know that? Amen. He doesn't want you to be blessed, trying to make your career play out, uproot you from your health, uproot you from your family, your church, your ministry. And you know, there are a thousand reasons why not a single relationship should ever work. You're aware of that. Not one marriage should ever survive. I mean, considering how different we all are, my God, you heard about the little girl that one day went and asked her mama where we all came from. Mama, how did we get here? Where did we all come from? She sat her down because she was a believer and said, Honey, now this is what happened. God took the dust of the earth and created Adam and Eve. And you and I were made in his image. We're the descendants of Adam. Made in the image and likeness of God. And the little girl went and thought about that and went and told her dad. said, Dad, it's amazing how we came here. And he she told her dad what mom had said, and the dad said, oh, no, baby, wait a minute. And the dad wasn't a believer. He said, this is what really happened. Explained to her the theory of evolution and how we all descended from apes. The little girl was confused, went back to her mama and said, mama, you said we were made in the image and likeness of God, but my daddy just told me that we all descended from apes. What's going on? And the mama said, well, honey, he was telling you about the his side of the family. I was telling you about mine. We come from different worlds, baby. Amen. Like the husband and wife that were on a long automobile trip, supposed to be a vacation, and like people do, shut up in a car sometimes for a long while. They got into an argument, and then they weren't talking to each other for several hours. And finally, they were driving through the countryside, and the husband looked out and saw some donkeys grazing in a field and just looked over at his wife and said, Relatives? And she said, yeah, in-laws. <laughs> the enemy's trying to uproot you from your relationships. 
Yeah, he doesn't want you to get rooted. You know why? You get planted. You thrive. You, you bear fruit. You begin to flourish. Amen. He's trying to uproot you from your finances, your careers, and all kind of stuff. Amen. What does it mean to be planted? Amen. Because it's important. Listen. Isaiah 37 and 31 said, this is what is required for you to bear fruit. The remnant who have escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. If you're going to bear fruit, you have to have roots. You've got to be planted. Isaiah 61, I love this. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? Console those who mourn in Zion. Give them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the, the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness. Did you see that? The planting of the Lord. Who gets anointed? Those that are planted. Why? That he may be glorified. Who brings God glory? Those that are planted. That's what it says. And it goes on, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. Who does God use to bring restoration? They shall raise up former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, and you shall be named the priest of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. And instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Who gets to experience all of that? Those that are planted. If you're not planted in your, minute, uh, your marriage, for example, you, you can't have this. You're going to have to go through that learning curve all over again with the next person. And understand sometimes you don't even get to vote on whether it works out or not. But I'm talking about this whole thing that is in society right now where people's attention span is about this long. And they're, they're flitting from here to there like a moth around a light bulb. Interested in that. And never able to focus and prioritize what matters in their life. And I will never forget the first bonsai tree that I ever saw in my life. It was in Tokyo. The first missions trip I ever took. I guess overseas in that part of the world across the pond, the Pacific. And that was 35 or 40 years ago. Many years ago. Bonsai trees. There's one. Those trees are full grown and they're only 18 to 24 inches tall. The one that I saw in Tokyo, I mean, it was something. Little old apple tree perfectly formed with one red apple on it, if I remember correctly. And I looked at that. It was amazing. You see these apple trees, that, rather bonsai trees, they sell on the side of the road. That, that's not the same thing. It's an art form in Japan. And I mean, some of them are over 100, like I said, in 30, if I remember correctly, that one's 138 years old. It's amazing. And I will never forget it. I looked at that little apple tree. I think it was an apple tree. I, I, I became confused in trying to remember if it was an orange or an apple, but I, I've decided, I think I was correct in remembering it was an apple. And I have been to the state of Washington and seen those apple orchards that were so heavily laden with apples that it was unbelievable. The average apple tree grows to over 30 feet tall. And during the time of its harvest, when it's bearing fruit, listen, 
Those apple trees can produce up to 1,200 pounds of apples each season at an average weight of roughly three apples to a pound. That's about 3,600 times as many apples as that one little old apple growing on that apple tree, that miniature apple tree in Japan that I saw. 3,600 times as much fruit. Those apple trees in the state of Washington, when it's harvest season, they have to prop them up with two-by-fours. Because, have you ever seen that? The weight of the apples on the limbs becomes so heavy, they will rip the limbs right off the side of the tree if you don't prop them up. I have seen people like this. That some that squeeze out one little apple. I've seen people do that in their marriage. I've seen people do that in their finances, their ministry. They live their lives and one little apple is produced. And I've seen others that become like these trees in the state of Washington that all of a sudden there's so much fruit that you really fear the tree is going to be endangered if you don't help it support the weight of the fruit that is growing. Amen. What makes the difference between these little bonsai trees? What makes the, the difference in that little apple tree that I saw and the ones in the state of, of Washington? You know what makes the difference? The one in Japan was not diseased, it was not deficient. It was that in Japan they have an art form developed by horticulturalists where they will take the apple tree out of the pot and cut its roots and put it back in and every little bit cut its roots and put it back in the soil. And they never allow its roots to grow and its fruitfulness is diminished. I realize sometimes you don't always get to vote. And some of the things that occur in your life, as I've already mentioned, a relationship can go bad and you had nothing to do with it. And you're left out there on, you know, with nothing else to do now but live alone or go build another relationship. But trust me, that's not easy under the best of circumstances. Like one guy that met his buddy, they had been separated, hadn't seen each other for years, and he said, how you doing? He said, well, my marriage fell apart. And he said, I've got a new wife now. And the guy said, well, congratulations. He said, yeah, thanks. But he said, I can't tell you how, how tough it is. I'm having to learn someone else all over again. And anyone who's ever been through a new relationship knows what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm being real with you. Now, you're sitting there real quiet because you don't want... Oh, not you, baby. You were the easiest thing in the world. I don't know who the pastor is talking about. But you also might resemble the two guys that hadn't seen each other for a long time. And they, they met up, and one guy was saying, how are you doing? His friend said, oh, I'm married to an angel. And he said, you sure are lucky. Mine's still living. Amen. <laughs> now, we guys resemble that remark as much as any woman, so I'm not picking it. Gender's here. Amen. What? makes the difference. It's the root system. A giant sequoia can grow to be over 300 feet tall. That's as tall as a 30-story building. Weigh over 2 million pounds. 
and it can grow to over 30 feet in circumference. They actually cut a road through one in the state of California. Put that up there, a photo they took some years ago in California. Another, they cut it down. They used the stump as a, as, as a dance floor for years. And another, a family tries to encircle with their, their hands, and it's so massive they cannot. Do you know why these trees grow like this and a bonsai doesn't? I've told you why the bonsai doesn't, but let me tell you why these trees grow like this. Their root system is the most developed in the entire world of any tree. The root system of a giant sequoia covers over one acre. For those of you that don't know, that's 43,560 square feet. Its root system makes it impervious to the winds that come. Do you know they actually are the most disease-resistant tree that science or horticulture or botany knows anything about? And this is what I believe is one of the essential and key requir requirements to experiencing going beyond being blessed to being extraordinarily blessed is you're going to have to sink some roots down and whatever it is that you want to see blessing come from. Amen. If you want your ministry to be blessed, I tell pastors, look, when you go to a church and people I mentor, I tell them, you go there and you intend to spend the rest of your life there. Building that church. And if God moves you, that's a different thing. But don't be like some of these denominations. Every two to four years, you get moved you hear what I'm talking about? Uh-uh, you can't have fruit like that. No, you can't. And the same thing is true in relationships. They're not disposable. And again, you might need to evaluate what your choices are if you're in a career that you just are, are thinking about leaving. Is that really God's choice? It may very well be. And if you're not in the one God wants you in, I pray that God will pull you up and plant you where you're supposed to be. Amen. I pray that God will do that. Can somebody in the building say amen? I pray God will let your roots sink so deep into the earth that you'll thrive. You say, what about the place where I'm working? If you're peaked out there, God might need to move you somewhere else. And you know what I'm praying this year for Christian Tabernacle and its members? I'm praying God plant our people where they can sink down roots and where they can grow and never top out, as it were. Never max out. In fact, I'm asking God to make your company look at you the way I look at my wife. You know how I look at my wife? I told her one time, you ever leave me, I'm going with you. Amen. I pray that God will cause your company to feel the same way about you. That they'll keep promoting you because they can't afford to let you go. And you reach the state where you're not just experiencing blessing, but you're experiencing extraordinary extraordinary blessings. I'm done and my time is gone, but I haven't even got to some of the things you need to be rooted in. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, as ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Three things you, needed to, you need to be rooted in. Number one, be rooted in Christ. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Look, you don't get rooted in any denomination. You don't get rooted in any. Look, I want to be respected as much as any pastor. But I didn't save you. I didn't shed blood for you. I didn't have stripes put on my back for you. I'm not your Lord. He is your Lord. In a few months, Jerry and I will be married. Can you believe it? 49 years. (laughs) I'm serious. Amen. I've been fortunate to get somebody that didn't blow apart our marriage. Amen. God was good to me. Some of you may have been through some issues. You may have even caused some. I'm not making you feel bad about that because you're here today because you're reaching after God. Amen. But what I am going to tell you is the guy that introduced me to her, his name was Neil Duke. He was my friend. He was actually the son of the minister conducting the campaign, the revival meetings when I got saved. And one night he came with his girlfriend, Kathy, and she came with her girlfriend, Jerry. And I took one look and said, well, 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 what have we here? And he said, would you like to meet her? And I said, I sure would. And we've been together ever since. But let me tell you something. Churches, religion, ministers are supposed to be like Neil Duke was to me. They introduced me to the one I fell in love with. I didn't marry Neil Duke. I didn't want to go home at night with Neil Duke. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? He introduced me to the one that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. (laughs) And what I'm saying is that's the role of churches. That's the role of denominations. It's the role of ministries. Listen to Colossians 3, or rather 1, 18 through 23. He was supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken, dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. Is there anybody here that would say thank you because I'm a living example of your grace, God? At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. Who did that? Christ alone. You don't walk away from a gift like that. So Paul said, stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. Don't you ever get your eyes off him. And one of the great tragedies of denomination, religion, fill in the blank, even ministries, is they will get you all enthused about them rather than about God. It's God that we're supposed to be focused on. 
All that other stuff is your Neil Duke introducing you to the one you're supposed to love. Amen. Secondly, be rooted in the Word of God. That same verse in Colossians says, be established in the faith as you have been taught. Did you get that? Taught. You need somebody to teach you some things. I do too. And that's why there's a five-fold ministry. Ephesians 2.20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, don't be one of those subject to every doctrine that blows in out of nowhere. Know what you believe, and you can't do that if you don't have roots in a church somewhere and you're hearing the word of God. And number three, these verses teach us to be rooted in love. God wants our default setting to be love. Why? Because that's his default setting. When God's screensaver comes on, it's love. Amen. That's what ought to be seen in our lives as well. Ephesians 3, 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in, say it, say it, rooted and grounded in love. Be rooted and grounded in Christ. Be rooted and grounded in the faith. Be rooted and grounded in love. You should not only be rooted and grounded in Christ and in the faith and in love, but you need to be rooted in a church, rooted in a relationship, rooted in a career, rooted even having to shift from a house to house is not easy. I told you what happened when we lived in the house before this last one that Jerry and I lived in. I went to Africa and came back. She had moved everything into the new house. I called her. She wasn't at the airport yet. I said, you coming? I don't even know where we live right now. That was her opportunity to say bye-bye, you know. But she came and picked me up. I must have been a pretty nice guy after all. Amen. It was her chance because I couldn't have found the house. I, I, I had no idea where we were staying. Did you ever consider this every time you have to make these changes that you clip your roots? And as I mentioned, sometimes you don't get to vote and you must, but I am praying this year. God, let us be planted in relationships the devil can't tear apart. God, let us be planted in ministry. God, let us be planted. Stand with me across the building. I'm done. God, let us be planted because what the enemy is constantly trying to do is unplant you. Unplant you. And God wants your life to be planted. Would you come pray with me right now? Because you can't bear fruit until you start sinking roots downward. Come join me. I want to pray with you. Some of you right now, the enemy is attacking the root system of your finances. Attacking the root system of your marriage. Attacking the root system. Mark, buddy, I didn't see you. How are you, man? Long time friend. Amen. 25 years, I guess, close to that. Come. God wants you to thrive, sink roots, and not be shaken. We used to sing an old song. Y'all remember this one? I'm not going to ask them to sing it. But y'all remember this one? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters, I 
I'm not going to need breakthrough anymore. I'm experiencing breakout. Tell somebody this is my year to experience breakout.